Welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent. In today's episode, we are going to talk about small improvements with big impacts. We're going to talk about how small improvements can improve your attraction. We're going to talk about how small things can improve the conversion from candidate to applicant. And we're going to be talking about how small improvements can help you increase the acceptance ratio as well as the people actually showing up for the very first day by using very small things to improve their pre-boarding. Enjoy the show. Here we are with the Talent Savvy podcast, and I'm pleased to introduce a new co-host to our hive mind, uh, Chris Ray. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Thanks, Baz. I'm so excited to be with you. Um, so my name is Chris Ray. I work for Sainsbury's. For those who know about us, it's Sainsbury's Supermarket, but part of the Sainsbury's brands, likes of Argus, Habitat, Nectar, and Sainsbury's Bank. So what do I do at Sainsbury's? I head up recruitment strategy. What does that actually mean for the outside world? I look from a strategy point of view from brand and attraction, social media and events, assessment, selection, policy and process, and also supplier relation. But as my roles grow on broader at Sainsbury's and I get to wear additional hats and those hats are I look after our change management from a recruitment perspective so what's on a recruitment plan how are we prioritizing how are we facing into business but also I've taken on during the pandemic our logistic recruitment operations so the HGV crisis how do we face into that how do we actually show up into that part of the business and that's me yeah and before if I'm not mistaken you were in healthcare for a while as well right Correct. I worked in social health care for a number of years for Anchor, who are the biggest um, social care in England and also in housing as well. I spent four years of my career. And then before then, I was agency and RPO. And then what's not on my LinkedIn is a fun fact. I was cabin crew, not because I'm embarrassed. I just want to forget the party years. And so, <laughs> um, fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. I- I, I, I know those things you left out. I, I, I've actually been a garbage man at some point in my life. And right now I'm helping the garbage rec- men recruitment. So the hiring manager was like, yeah, do you know anything about him? And I was like, yeah, I've, I've actually been at that specific station. I've had lunch there a couple of times with what back then were my mates. And she's like, Love. oh, she, I immediately had a connection with the hiring manager. Akbar, your big news of the week is you've changed jobs. Tell us about yes. it. Yes, yes. So you are looking at the director of recruitment for Metify, or you're hearing. So that is a edtech gaming platform all about helping coaches run courses for people who want to get better at gaming. So it's, it's been a busy week and uh, it is big news for me, let's put it that way. And I'm really excited to see what we're going to do over the next couple of months. All right. So my news of the week is actually something I picked up in the recruiting brain food newsletter, which is really interesting that mask wearing has re- significantly reduced beauty bias, which is something amazing. And this wasn't especially in recruitment, but they've been looking at tips for waitresses and waiters and been correlating them. And they've uh, this academic institution has been looking at them for years and they found out that the better looking the waitress or the waiter, the higher the tips were. 
And with mass querying, they've actually seen it equalize. And the same goes for ratings of Uber drivers when mask wearing. Uh, the, the star ratings for the driver have actually equalized between better looking and lesser looking Uber drivers as well, which is just very interesting if you go to figure out how much does beauty bias work in the recruiting industry? How much do we assess people on their looks? And apparently mask wearing is the equalizer in this, which mm-hmm. I found very fascinating, especially if you see so much real-world implications. It makes me wonder how well are we able to assess a candidate if it's sitting opposite of us when we're doing interviews um, based on uh, looks. There was always um, kind of the the in, in uh, live interview experience was, okay, what should I be wearing? Should I be a suit? What is quote-unquote professional? And we all already knew how to play that game where how you present is very, it helps in how you get hired. And that I think is a little undertone of some of the unbalanced ways we used to assess. So it's like, I want to present as this person. Um, for example, uh, I really tight with Jonah Lockwood and she talks a lot about what she, people would have expected when they hear her on the phone and then when she comes in for assessment centres and then they're trying to kind of square their own circle. And uh, so really interesting. And we are not immune to those uh, for like 48 cognitive biases and appearance is definitely one of those. I mean, being somebody who's lost a lot of weight a couple of years, actually a decade ago now, I've lost uh, almost 40 kilos. That's like uh, 85 pounds, eight stone for the Brits. And I can tell you, I've been treated completely different ever since everywhere, both in personal settings. So uh, there used to be a 100% chance that I would get picked out of a line to get patted down at a concert or a soccer match. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was just expecting it. And since I lost that weight, I haven't been picked out of a line to get patted down anymore. But also in professional setting, when I was direct, and you guys know I'm direct, <laughs> I'm even for a Dutchman, I'm direct. <laughs> it used to always be an attack. People would always feel attacked. And now they actually assess the criticism. And I've actually been told, you've changed. And I'm like, no, I'm still an asshole, but you're, you're perceiving me being an asshole differently because you're actually looking at me as an equal instead of somebody who's just going to attack you. It's, it's amazing. So before we get to the topic of small improvement on recruitment, let's first get a quick word from our sponsor. European. Talent. Intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group. Where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on Intelligence Group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence with innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries. It is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great, 
Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence. Today, we are talking about small improvements that can make big differences. So I'm really interested to hear from you guys. What do you think are the best small improvements you've made or you've seen made on the attraction side of the business? How do we, uh, with very small, just small stuff, get more people to apply or to consider our organization? Chris, you want to go first? Yeah, to, and I think probably let's take it back a bit. I think the first thing is identifying because there's so much noise to cut through. It, you really got to understand is what is that small thing? And that can be tailored for any organization. And I think the main thing is that a lot of people get wrong. And to me, is is the thing that's always stuck through my career is I don't think people realize the power of the advert and they still don't of something being so small and getting it right and taking that time, I think we can become lazy. And I'm talking this in, from my view, from a generalization externally, is that it, you can just become very easy to go copy paste. And actually, you, you talked about earlier, Baz, is about getting people to apply, but it's also getting people to deselect themselves. It's, it's really talking is bring it to life, and but also thinking about different groups of individuals that are going to apply for this role, making sure that it's fully inclusive and it's not got a load of bullet points in the advert. Don't get me wrong, that, that's okay sometimes, but really taking the time before even pressing that button. I think we get so in much work, we just go bang, it's out. It's done, I'll move on, I need to go source candidates. Well, actually, if you can really take that moment just to take a step back and tailor that job effort, to me is is you're going to win each time and it's just something that's so small but I do think we get wrong I've done it in my career throughout recruitment when I was a recruiter it's like I've got 100 managers coming at me at different directions I've got loads of requisitions and I just think sometimes is actually we don't see the longer term win here we just think it's it's up there it's just going to attract but before you know it we're bogged down with loads of candidates and there's that possibility of losing the best candidate through the process. Akbar, what what, what do you think are the, the, the small improvements you've seen over the time work really well? Yeah, so I'll just do like a real bullet point checklist and people can pause. And so number one, put salary. Everyone pays taxes and there's no way I can put negotiable or competitive when I am doing uh, my tax contribution. Just put it in there. You might get less applicants, but you get one to what Chris said self-select out and also it rewards historically underrepresented underserved communities who have not had a history of being rewarded for negotiating just do it there run it through your advert through something like cat Matfield or textio or applied also have a, a platform many others do it run it through for gender bias in gender related words so for example the difference between proactive, target-based, and other words along that, they kind of speak to a certain type of candidate that you want to apply. Uh, number three, try and keep your requirements down in number to what you actually really care about. This is a massive generalization, but this is also stated in loads of research. If you have seven or more requirements, women are less likely to apply 
for every bullet point you add. This is me saying a little joke. Basically, if you make a list, a man will think they can do two more and a woman might say, mm, if I don't hit all 10, should I apply? That is complete generalization, but on large number and data sets, that's what you should do. Also, do not talk about, this is very weird, about the job. An accountant has been an accountant and knows what an accountant should do in their job. Stop wasting time, stop wasting real estate, especially when it's in a mobile optimized space. What are your central things you want? And then sell. It is an advert that is designed to get a lead. And then my last point is make as many things optional. So apply by LinkedIn, Indeed apply button. You can write a summary. Try and get out of the way of them going, oh, I'll save this as a tab for when I get home. Do you think bandings and salary or do you think the actual specific salary that the managers like the medium point? Banding, whatever it says to you, just a number creates certainty in a decision and people are worried, oh, what if people don't uh, apply because they're scared away by the number? Okay, then now you know your number is always a number anyway. The second objection I hear is also, what about internally? Well, if you have unbalanced uh, salaries within your team and that will upset people, then that's the problem. Do better. Yeah. Don't let don't win because of ignorance. If, if I can add side. something on that, Chris, it depends on the job. Because in uh, retail, uh, what I've known, consulting with a few Dutch retailers, you know, in the stores, there's a fixed amount you're going to make, period. So you just tell them, this is the amount per hour you're going to make. Now, if it's... Uh, a headquarters job and there's a salary range, put the range in there. Agree. And it's interesting, I don't know if you heard, so in New York, didn't they, they passed a bill in 2021, December, which I'm totally in favour of that you must advertise roles. I think it's only in Colorado as well as where it's stemmed from. I think in the UK, it still is it's competitive. I know in certain roles that we still do it because then it's the thing that we need, we are changing. But you are right, Baz, in retail, in early wages, is is always showcased for some reason. It is always in the more office-based roles. It's competitive. And I think that's sometimes whether do, we, do they want people to see competitive wages? I don't know why organisations still do it. It was, it was something from back in the day where we assumed that the business knew more about the market rate than the candidates. Between Payscale, between Glassdoor, between their friends and the network that you would love to have access to. What I want to add on your, your bullet points. I have a rule of thumb, Akbar, and I'm really curious to hear your both of your thoughts, of course, on this. I always say the number of requirements in bullet points should be equal to the number of bullet points under we offer. Okay. It's a psychology thing that you're saying it's an equal relationship psychologically by saying you need to have five things and we're going to offer you five things. And it might not even be as objective, but I've seen good results from trying to equalize those. And it's also a great way to get hiring managers to drop requirements because it's really hard to add benefits. Okay, no, okay, good point. I, I, I like that as a, as, as a guide. Is it reciprocal? Is this a job offer? Are we offering enough? And as opposed to, are we asking too much? And but what's her thoughts on? But why bullet points? Do you think bullet points work? Do you think this is where I'm currently having always having the debate? Is like adverts. I, I do think it's a I know it's it's a topic that we constantly discuss is 
do you think is attractive bullet points? Do you not think it puts people off? Bullet points transfer really well when you move from a desktop to a mobile optimized experience. Mm-hmm. And also when you think of like aggregators and stuff like that, it just maintains it in an easier way. So we don't think of the candidate there, do we? We think of the technology. It's simple. It's like, are we thinking we've went straight there to go as actually we're doing this so it renders nicely, but have we really thought about how a candidate is going to read this or is that the technology telling us we have to do it in this way for it to show up? To the Good candidate? point about accessibility is like, which is it? But then I think like legibility, readability. Like- yeah. But there is actually quite some data on it as well that uh, most candidates like bullet points, just not too many. Mm -hmm. I remember Textio sees the best results from job descriptions with uh, 30 to 50% bullet points, if I'm not mistaken, last time I checked. And I do know there's a small difference in types of people. So I've seen better results with more bullet points at IT people, while HR people love more text basically, which is completely, it might, it might be a bias, but you do see that HR people love written out text a little more, although you also see that bullets, especially when it comes to requirements and benefits, because it also means you've got to really make it clear what the benefit is. You can't just write around it, you know? We're going to offer you X salary and stuff like that. Okay, cool. All right. So in attraction, the biggest small improvements are mainly writing great job descriptions. Now, we already did a few episodes actually on it because they're so important in the Talent Savvy podcast. Do listen to those back. We've packed them full of tips from Kelly Robinson, Sophia Br- I wasn't allowed to uh, say her last name because I always screw it up. <laughs> so on the conversion point, What do we see as improvement points? How do we get them when they saw our optimized, improved job ad Mm -hmm. to what what small improvements can we add there? To me, I think it's tailored. To me, is that each role can be different. I I am. But if I look at quite recently, we're doing a big piece for our tech bootcamp. It's a program where it offers our colleagues across the business a 16-week program. Of tech and if they're successful passing it they get a permanent job within tech and it just showcases when we really stripped on the application removed the standard cover letter and removed to see the need for cv is we saw applications go up by 62 percent in two weeks and to me is it's really sometimes thinking and taking that step back and going is why are we asking for this how, how what, what what is the requirement for this and to me is those tiny little things significantly changed the dropouts of the ATS and also took, took away the need for that candidate just to go through the application. I love what you said, Akbar, earlier is about bookmarking it and coming back is to me is a lot easier for that candidate just to apply. So I, I think it's just taking the friction away where possible. But also there is a need for friction in the process at some at some points, but making sure it's the right friction. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I always say the, the, the quickest win is to think about every job and what do we really need for them and what fits the candidate. 
So I've actually seen really great improvements by cutting out the cover letter, which for some reason, some hiring managers still want. And I always very much doubt if they ever read it, but they demand it. And at one of my, my clients, we changed it to two questions for the not professionally, the not college educated people. Mm-hmm. And we simply saw such an increase in conversion rates because apparently writing a cover letter for people who were just a mechanic, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we were talking about mechanics, train conductors, yeah. that kind yeah. of jobs, yeah. literally train conductors, actually. And we just asked him, why do you want to be a train conductor? And we gave him in the ATS a line to just answer the question. And we mm-hmm. saw conversion go up so much because people are not used to writing letters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, it's, it's getting rid of the friction there. And I also remember that one of the uh, big retailers in the Netherlands changed it basically to which shifts would you be able to work? Mm-hmm. And that was, they were like, well, you're 15 years old. What could possibly be in your resume? You just want to stock her shelves. Yes. <laughs> you know, when, when would you be willing to work? We'll send that on to the supermarket and they'll figure out if they need somebody for those hours. Okay, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And are we saying, so this is, they have discovered the job role and you're trying to engineer the small wins to get them to apply? Or is this uh, little things in the interview process? Where do you want us to do the line? Are we saying convert to an application and quick hacks in that narrow area? Well, any any form of conversion is... Uh, okay. What were you thinking about? So I've uh, foreseen. So one of the things that sometimes people see drop off in is after application uh, is usually an automated email, and because it has the same subject line, usually you might not be on a whitelist, and that goes straight to junk. So when you click your first interview request, add the candidate's name in the subject line. That makes it a unique. Uh, message even though it's coming from your non-whitelisted domain and you're more likely to get somebody to see that uh, as a request uh, that's one there Love use loose use scheduling t- tools is another one uh, you can use calendly uh, you can book me some ATSs have those built in but importantly do not you, you kind of have to move your lunch basically an hour before and an hour after what's the typical cultural lunch that you have that's usually going to be the busiest and time for interviews. If you do like a half hour, half hour, just block that off. So I have my lunch like an hour later than quote usual UK time so that people can book in. Consider if you're wearing a flexible, if you're in a flexible company, doing the same for the start of the day. So have your interview slots for maybe stay an hour later, an hour later than usual. The four to six slot is one there. So just it's all about having more interviews in the week when your candidates can actually uh, make them there. And then probably another easy quick tip is have half, uh, have 15 minutes, I call them like debrief calls at key stages when they're about to give a presentation or when you're towards the end of a, of a process and that's where you just shut up. And it's an agency tick where you just have to see if the candidate is going to sell back the opportunity to you. So what did what was your some questions are what was your strongest question what answer do you think was your weakest and just really dig into why they're interested in them it's not an assessment call at the very least they feel like you are taking time to give feedback and hear feedback from them 
I like it. I like it. I actually, on, on the interviewing side, um, when uh, hunting, when generally sourcing really candidates who, who've got enough offers, I've actually found it interesting to simply take a candidate out to dinner for the interview. Okay. Just say, listen, I know you're busy, so I know it's really difficult for you to schedule an interview with me. Why don't we meet in a restaurant and I'll pay for dinner? And that actually landed me some really interesting candidates who at first were like, yeah, I'm not sure if I even want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. To, oh yeah, well, I got to eat anyway. Okay, wow. This, I think in certain industries, there is definitely a space for that. Actually, to offer less, I'm just going to steal one directly from Liam Morley, the director of talent from Raza, creating a PDF of the offer and doing the rule of, you offer you do good news by call, bad news by email. And in your PDF is literally just like a key elements of like the offer, but then going in a little bit of detail. So there was a slider calculator for do you want more equity or do you want more salary? Explaining key terms to you. That there was absolutely amazing. Basically, last year for Storyblock, hired 86 people in year. And only two offers were rejected across the whole year. And I think that was a large part to why we were so successful. Wow, that's, yeah. Do you think we're just more transparent about the process in all of our recruitment piece? Like, this is when your next stage is going to be. Do you think we hold ourselves more account to turn around and say, right, this is stage one, this is stage two, here's going to be the dates, this is the ideal times, we'll flex around you. I think sometimes when a lot of people in the recruitment process, it's like, oh, what's going to happen next? Because actually the candidate's just going through each stage and being told at that stage, I think we could do a lot more at the the front of the process. Um, I'm actually surprised that you don't because that's pretty standard practice with a lot of Dutch companies these days. I'm not saying, I'm talking about in general in UK, if you would go on to LinkedIn right now or any of the marketplaces, would you see in most job adverts the actual when it's going to happen? What when? In, in, in many, most, it's not the exact dates, but what you see in most Dutch corporate career sites is actually they already explained the process. I'm not talking about process. I'm talking about dates. I'm talking about timings. I, I'm talking about actually the candidate will know then when, when stuff's going to happen. That can all start to be, I get process. Process can be talked about, but what, when is the recruiter going to get back to them? Like, when are they actually going to hear? When, when's the yes or no going to happen? What, what, when is that my next stage happening? I don't see that in, in a lot of efforts. No, I, you're, you're right. The getting back is, of course, usually dependent on the timing of uh, when a candidate applies and stuff like that. So um, you do have discussions about should we say we're going to get back to you within a week or not? What I have noticed, because I now work for several governments, and those tend to have fixed dates. So basically, the interviews will be on Monday uh, the the 11th. And that doesn't go down well with everybody here. Let's be very honest there. Yeah, I think there's a happy medium. I think it's it's, it's giving some transparency and insight of what the possibility could be. So a candidate can guide because it's interesting i love that offer sheet and i think that's great that sounds awesome i'd love to see it i just think it opens up that conversation 
and it also allows the individual to plan and call out any issues if there is any. All right. Yeah. So let's go to the very last stage of the the, the recruitment process, at least uh, in in before the accepting the accepting of the the offer. I've already gave some really interesting uh, information about how they did it at Storyblock. I remember a company at some point, uh, Oracle here in the Netherlands, actually sending the offer in a beautifully packaged thing by courier to the front door. And um, because at a courier, you can actually have a feedback on when it's delivered. And the hiring manager was had to call within an hour after delivery of the offer package to ask if they would uh, if it was received and they i think they doubled their acceptance rate at that point i love the fact that you put that they put so much effort into the offer anything else we can do to increase acceptance rate because i already cheated by already talking about this stage maybe i can talk about onboarding how do you close or help the conversions from offer acceptance to actually them starting um, you don't have to invest in like bright, amazing tech, but sometimes it does help. There are really accessible platforms. Zavi is super, super accessible. So that's Z-A-A-V-I as an onboarding platform. But now a lot of the ATSs that are really spending money on do have some sort of onboarding feature. I would also suggest doing pre-recorded webinars from your hiring managers as if they were... So instead of having every person meet the marketing director in a one-on-one, Get them to record something, and that could be something you're sending already. There are certain things that you can't give before they officially start, but anything that you can share with them beforehand, please do. So, for an example, uh, if you have like a loose roadmap feature for your product, use that as an excuse to say hello. Start tagging them in social media posts for your individual team going forward so they already feel part of the company. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's about the pre-boarding. I think that's where we see people drop out of the process. I think it's the bit where actually we can forget is actually we've done the offer, everything's good, and people be joining us. It's how how do you really hone in? And with the the war for talent being as fierce as it's ever been, I think you have to focus on that. I think the offer is that you should get an indication if that candidate is going to accept. Is If you're given that great assessment approach and you're really understanding your candidate and having those upfront conversations, it's less about watching the offer and more about the pre-boarding. Uh, to me, that's where anyone can snipe in, as I would call it. And will that candidate or in Baz's way, he takes them out for dinner. Very costly, but um, to me is really thinking about that and i couldn't agree with you more Akbar's really focusing that pre-boarding and giving them an awesome experience into the organization is, is it really costly chris because 50 quid on dinner or 25 30 quid on dinner compared to hiring an agency to find somebody is peanuts of course and we're, we're, we're not talking about retail staff here we're talking about basically this was for a managing director position you know, um, I probably, as I would say, is I love the process to be equitable and fair for everyone and to treat everyone were physically possible the same as to me is that sell a culture, sell the organization, not to, to have to take someone out for dinner, get people to want to want to work. And I always believe I'm an ex-agency recruiter myself. There will always be a need for agency in our 
world um, to me is it is a partner in your organization and um, where they can help you when you are significantly needing resource to help you support. So probably I would, that would be the one I disagree. I don't think you need to take them for dinner. All right. Well, we, we disagree on that one then. Then uh, it's, it's the last and we and that's perfectly fine to disagree with each other. <laughs> And on the last uh, uh, part of the uh, pre-boarding stage, one of the nicest things I've ever saw was uh, three days before your start date, you would give uh, if there was any address code advice, which could also be just come as you are. But the one thing a lot of people stress out about is how should I dress the first day of work? I, I know it's gotten relaxed over time, but there's still a lot of companies, especially traditional big brands just tell them everything's fine or we are a suit company or whatever it just eases a lot of people's minds to know that what what is expected i think you're right uh, but again is should that be something early in the process it should to me as no, i think it's a reminder it's pre-boarding it's pre-boarding a few days before you start yeah, completely agree. I think it eases to understand, like, it is what people say, what should I wear on my first day? Yeah. And, and usually, nine times out of ten, everyone comes in overdressed, and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to wear that again. So, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I think right. it's a good thing to shout. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, and we hope you got inspired by all the small improvements we've shared with you on improving your recruitment uh, process. If you like us, give us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>